welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. We have such a treat today. Today, we're talking with our dear friend and writing mentor, Allison Fallon. Allie is an award-winning author, a sought-after public speaker, and a nationally recognized writing coach. She's coached hundreds of thousands of writers, from New York Times bestselling authors to total beginners, to help them finally get their books written and on shelves. Today, we're going to be talking about platform and how it's not the thing stopping you from publishing your book. We're also talking about balancing marketability and creativity, writing from your heart, and even working with editors. This is really a wide ranging conversation, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. We're here with Allie. Before we jump in, Allie, will you tell us just our audience a little bit about you, what you do for a living, how you came to the writing industry? Yeah, I am an author and a coach to authors. I've been working with authors for the last 15 years or so. I jumped into this industry completely green and naive. And I don't think it's like 2009, maybe 2008. I just had this sense. Actually, I had always known I wanted to write a book, but I think it was a very deep, unconscious thing that was sort of buried along the way, as adults would say to me. You know, as I was planning my future, they would say, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I want to be an author. And very well-meaning adults would tell me that I needed to have a backup plan because I couldn't make money as a writer. And so I was like, oh, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll become a teacher. And then in my summers off, then I can write books, you know, thinking in my head that I would really like live for the summers when that would be the fun thing I would do. And then I would teach just to pay the bills, which is hilarious because teaching doesn't do a great job of paying the bills, by the way, and, um, or doesn't do much better than, than writing does. Right. And, and also like the last thing we need are teachers teaching kids who aren't super, super passionate about education, which I am passionate yeah. about education, but um, I taught for a couple of years in the public school system. I got my master's in teaching because in Oregon, where I grew up to teach uh, at the high school level, you had to have a master's degree. So um years in school, got a master's degree, taught in the public school system for a couple of years. And I just had this like a deep nagging, knowing feeling that I was still supposed to write the book that I'd always wanted to write, even though I didn't know what that was about or uh, how I was going to make that come to fruition. But I, I took the leap um, when my contract came up for renewal in 2000, it was like the year, school year between 2008 and 2009. I said, no, thank you. And um, had like a little bit of money and savings, but not really a plan. Mm -hmm. I was like, it'll take me about six months to write a book. And then three years later, I published my first book. So, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happened within there, but, but that was like my first leap into the world of publishing. And I had no clue what I was doing. That kind of is what inspired the, the blend of the world of education and the world of writing inspired my coaching business, which has yeah. you know been very successful for me. So yeah that's awesome i like quote knew you not personally of course but i like came to you back in the packing light 
days. Like I bought packing light when it came Did out. Did you really? Wow. Yeah. And then oh, I was, so that was 2012, yeah. I want to say that that came out. Yeah, yeah, I was living in Seattle and had come to you through a blog, blog post that you'd written on somebody else's blog and was following you. And like, that was right around because you were promoting Packing Light. I started following you on Instagram. I was like, oh, so I went and bought it. Yeah. That's awesome. I know. Wasn't that crazy? Well, cool. Well, I want to kick off the conversations by talking about platform this is one okay. of the things ali i mean um ariel and i get asked about all the time it's kind of an interest interesting conversation in publishing on the whole right now i think we did an instagram live this morning we got questions about platform i'm collaborating on a book with an agent and a, a lot of that book is about platform but not necessarily in the way like basically when we hear about platform we mostly hear about it in the terms of like you need a big one right sure like, sure it's you know helps you get a book deal sometimes you can't your people think you can't get one without one you know and it just is um yeah i mean even in this book i'm collaborating on like sometimes she refers to it as like the p word because like it's gonna come up you know sure. it's like hard everybody you know and it's sort of nebulous too because people are like well, well what's my like how big does it have to be you know like yeah. some I was on a agency website the other day and they're like, Hey, if you have 25,000 followers, like click here for this fast track, you know, basically like you're in yeah. you this kind of, um, but more and more, I actually keep hearing, um, about how this bubble is like bursting a little bit, you know? Um, and so, and that like, you know, they have taken that, like signed lots of big platform people and it hasn't translated into a good book yeah. or even like lots of sales. And it still certainly can help as a distribution channel, but in general, like this idealization of large platforms, platform. um, is, I don't know, perhaps not what it used to be. I don't know. What's your take on that? What, how do you feel about platform these days? Well, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, the big question that people always ask is, do I need a big platform in order to write a book? And the obvious answer to that question is no. Right. <laughs> the platform actually, at the end of the day, when you're asking about writing a book, platform has nothing to do with writing a book. It's actually yeah. like a totally separate entity from writing a book. And growing a platform will not help you to write a book. In fact, it uses different parts of your brain. And it's not the same practice of writing a book. And so growing a platform can become a huge distraction from writing a book. So the obvious answer is absolutely not. You don't need a platform to write a book. You don't even need to be on Instagram to write a book. You don't need to be on TikTok to write a book. Um, you could write a great book and not be on any social media platform and you could still write the book. Now, to sell the book, is it helpful to have some sort of distribution channel? Maybe that distribution channel is Instagram or TikTok or you know, big speaking engagements or whatever else. Like there are a lot of different ways that you can distribute a book. Sure, that definitely helps. And so when when I'm working with an author, I always like to ask, what are your high hopes for the book? And start with that conversation because if your high hopes for the book are, I want to write this memoir of my life and I want to pass it on to my kids so that they really understand who their parents were and where they came from and, and can understand their legacy, then then like growing an Instagram platform would be like a complete absurdity. It's just is like such a deviation from what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, now, if your high hopes for the book are to write a New York Times bestselling book, then of course, having a platform could be a helpful tool for not only distribution, but also like a, a stamp of credibility when you're pitching to agents and publishers, that sort of thing. But I mean, the other half of this conversation that's really important to address is, and you, you touched on this, um, but, but like when we get at what is the number that constitutes a big platform, it, it's 
it's a moving target. So like, you know, 25,000 followers, I'm shocked that actually that's still on a website somewhere because mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider 25,000 followers a big platform. Um, I've heard the number 50,000 thrown around on Instagram or TikTok, but even that number, it doesn't really feel like it does it because I've also worked with authors who have had 600,000 followers on Instagram and they've pitched their book idea to agents and publishers and gotten lots of no's and gotten lots of rejections or gotten, you know, a contract that I, that isn't favorable to them and I wouldn't recommend them taking. And so, you know, I worked with one author who had over half a million followers on Instagram. And when she pitched her book to a litany of different publishers, she had an agent working with her, but when they pitched the book, the, the biggest offer she got, I was like, I got a bigger offer than that in, you know, 2018. And I was, I don't have, I have like 15,000 followers on Instagram. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's such a moving target that it's just like, it, it can really mess with your brain because if you tell yourself that 50,000 is the number and you, you move like crazy to hit that number and you learn all, all the rules of the algorithm and you do your dancing on TikTok and you, you know, you're just like, get over myself. I'm going to post these effing reels, you know? whatever you can do all of that and accomplish the 50,000 number. And maybe it doesn't really open the door for you that you wanted it to open for you. So I just like to put the platform conversation in its place. It's not that it's not important or it's not something worth thinking about, especially if you want to grow a career as an author. But I'm also like you, the reason that most of us choose to write a book is because we have this gnawing sense that it's something that we're called to do, however you would language that because you get excited about the thought of doing it. You have fun sitting down to sort of like figure out the problem of how to put your book together. So to go on this giant detour to do something you don't want to do and you hate doing and makes your skin crawl to grow a big Instagram platform so you can get a publisher to pay attention is kind of missing the point, not kind of missing the point. It's a hundred percent missing the point. And, um, and doesn't always get you what, what you're looking for anyway. So it's not that it's, unimportant it's I'm not saying like there's nothing wrong with Instagram I actually I have an Instagram coach that I work with who I call her my Instagram therapist because she talks me off the ledge of deleting my Instagram account like once a month or once a quarter at least Ariel and, Ariel and I have this conversation all the time oh, yeah Ariel's really carrying the load for us right now social media wise because <laughs> every time we have a meeting about it because we have a social media person too and I'm like I can't, yeah. I just can't. I don't, don't <laughs> ask me to, please don't do Ariel, that. You crush it on Instagram though. I, I love know. seeing your reels. You do a great yeah. job. Well, I'm, I'm in that space right now where I am feeling like the burnout from it. I, yeah. I am working really hard to make it happen to grow our platform for our yeah. own book. So I'm feeling the, like the constant push and pull of like, on one hand, I know that an Instagram following is not the thing that's going to get me a book deal. (laughs) Yes. And also I know that we do need more people's eyes on our material and on our books. And so I think I really am empathizing with my authors right now. I'm like, this is really hard because I'm trying to live out the things that we believe, but I'm also trying to get a book deal (laughs) and I really want these things to happen. And I feel like, it, so something my, my Instagram therapist always says to me too, is because I'll compare myself to accounts of influencers who seem to be like, they're posting two reels a day. And so their accounts are growing really fast and whatever. She's like, I just want you to remember that Instagram is this person's whole job. 
So I feel like as an author, you have to remember your whole job is writing books. Even if you're going to write a book a year, that's a whole job. So just don't, don't compare yourself to other people whose whole job is marketing because marketing is a different thing than writing a book and just put that in its place. It's like 20% of your job that you, you know, if in a year you're going to write a book, which is a book a year is a pretty quick cadence. I think some authors write even more than that, but I think it's a very fast cadence for publishing. If you're going to write a manuscript a year and sell a manuscript a year, then, you know, 80% of that is the writing and editing and then 20% of it is the selling. So I think it's just important to keep that platform conversation in its place. It's only 20% of what you do. And if you can bring an energy to it that says like, this is me being excited about the work that I do and sharing it with the world. This is not me trying to be an influencer or trying to um, look cool because I've got 100,000 followers on Instagram or, you know, it, it, this is not my first love. I'm not like throwing, throwing myself into this because I just love the algorithm on Instagram. Uh, but I am going to have some fun with it and be silly and play. And that, that taking that approach to it actually adds to my writing because I think it, it helps me in a different medium. It helps me create that sense of freedom that really um, like frees up your creativity too. So I, as long as I can bring that energy to Instagram, it adds to my life and I enjoy it. And in the moments where I feel like I can't do that, I just peace out for like three months at a time. I'm not necessarily recommending that as a strategy, but I'm saying I've done that. I've still had a very successful career as an author. So I'm just like, I'm not going to lose my life over Instagram. Yeah. Does your Instagram coach like help you with Instagram? Is that what you yeah. hired her for? Wow. Yeah. That's what, that's what all she does. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That's so awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I was talking with an agent yesterday, Ali, I shared this, um, this morning on Instagram as well. Um, and she shared with me that some of the publishers she works with have started telling her that they are wary of social media influencers now, and that they are actually becoming more suspicious if an author has a large social media following because they're worried that there won't be enough substance yeah. and they've just been burned by authors who have large followings, but for some reason, their books do not sell for whatever yes. reason, whatever, you know, a social media following is not the thing that's going to sell your book. It's just not. Well, and so and like that, yeah, that makes me so happy to hear publishing professionals saying that because I've been trying to shout this from the roof, rooftop for 10 years. Cause I've been working with authors, helping them develop their message and their ideas for all this time. And a lot of the people that I have worked with are people who are public figures or, or, in, you know, Instagram influencers or whatever else who a publisher will, this was 10 years ago or five years ago that a publisher would see this person with a distribution channel. And they would say like, Hey, Ali, can you come help this person develop a message? Like, what do they want to say in a book? And can mm -hmm. we help them? And I would either, you know, from an outline perspective or ghostwriting perspective, help them put something together. And I'm telling you, this is not, I'm not saying this from a place of judgment or, or um, like mean, like spiritedness at all. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times these influencers, because Instagram is their whole job and they're very good at the job that they do, but they haven't really thought through what's the thing I want to say to the world. And that's not something that you can grow overnight. It's not something you can fabricate out of nowhere. It takes a lot of depth and, um, self-reflectiveness that isn't necessarily required to do dances on TikTok, nothing wrong with dances on TikTok, but, but so I'm, I'm happy to hear a publishing professional say and see that there can be a, a disconnect between someone who 
you know, has a huge following on social media and someone who can produce a product that actually takes people on a journey and gets them to self-reflect and, and, and is meaningful, you know, that really means something to the reader at the end of the day. So I'm not saying those two things can't happen at the same time. I'm just saying a lot of times they, they don't. So, yeah. And fortunately I, I'm in a lucky position where with um, two of the books that I'm working on, one of them being ours, that um, I get to interact with a lot of agents and will occasionally ask them, like, when was the last time you signed somebody without a platform or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody? And it's almost always like not that long ago. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll be like, well, what convinced you like to sign somebody? And it's always the idea, the writing, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's just like, it's so encouraging and something that, you know, Ariel and I are really passionate about is like that these two fundamental things that, you know, perhaps are like why publishing exists in the first place are still really important. And yes, like distribution channel and, and having access to an audience is really great, not only for selling books, honestly, like it help, it can help you develop your message. It can help you give, get feedback on, on a lot of stuff you're doing, but, but, um, I think people far too often overlook how far, if this is, this is all assuming you want to like be traditionally published, I suppose, you know, like have that kind of quote success that, that a lot of people want to have. I think people like too often disregard the the value of just pursuing a good idea and being developing your craft as a great writer and how far that can get you and how there are still agents like I don't know I think we do like see traditional publishing kind of as this mysterious place and I won't disagree that that's how it can seem but in general agents and editors are just people who love good books and they're still looking for people who can write good books you know a hundred percent yeah and I also feel like something that we danced around but we I, I never actually said like on the nose and I do feel like it's important to say is that traditional publishing has this allure to it and it's very seems glitzy and glamorous and it, there's sort of this like under stated kind of idea that if you traditionally publish, then you're a real author. And if you self-publish, well, then it's just vanity publishing. But I just want to remind people that self-publishing is readily available to anybody who, who wants to embrace it. And their self-publishing is not what it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever. There are paths to self-publishing where like perfectly legitimate books get published. I've worked with authors. I worked with an author who worked in marketing and he was a better marketer than he was a writer, honestly. And he, but he wrote a great book about marketing and self-published it to begin with because he didn't get deal that was favorable to him. The book has done very well. It's been on multiple, it hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list wow. before he picked up distribution deal with a publisher and signed like a very favorable deal after all was said and done. So it, that's just one example. And the other example I like to share all the time is William Paul Young, mm-hmm. who wrote The Shack. And this was before self-publishing was as readily available as it is now. He had no had no previous publishing experience, no direct connections into the world of publishing, zero platform because platform didn't even, was like just in its infancy at that point. And that book has sold, last I checked, 26 million copies and been made into a major motion picture. So, so mm-hmm. like there is a path to a very successful book via self-publishing. And there's also a path where you get to decide what success looks like to you, that success, okay, let me ask this. Would you rather publish with a traditional publisher sell 10,000 copies of your book, make no money because you buy out your advance and that's about it. And then that's the end of the road there or, or self-publish your book, make 100% of your royalties 
sell 10,000 copies of the book, or maybe sell 5,000 copies of the book, make some cash, use the book as a lead magnet to other products and services that you offer within your like coaching or whatever you do. Mm -hmm. Um, make a ton of money doing that, create a little community for yourself of people who you're having a strong impact on and like an ecosystem. And it, and the book is just one thing that exists inside of that ecosystem. Maybe you sell fewer copies of the book. If you self-publish I, that's, there's not even a real direct correlation there, but maybe you do, maybe you, from some people's perspective, you aren't as legitimate of a, of a writer or whatever, but like you actually create a, a, a world where like you're making a huge impact and having a difference and making a, a, a living that you can feed your family on. And there's not a right answer. I mean, for some people, they want to say they did it. They want to do the traditional publishing thing and say that they did it and that they were published by Penguin Random House or whatever it is. And if that's your goal, then I'm not trying to talk you out of your goal, but but I just want people to really think critically about what they're trying to accomplish with the book and recognize that there are all kinds of paths in front of them. Well, isn't that to some degree, you totally correct me because we I didn't know you very well personally back then, but I remember when you're you wrote your memoir. What was the name? Un Indestructible. 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 Yeah. Um, when you wrote Indestructible, I don't know if this is exactly what happened, but it seemed to me because I read your memoir and of course was like following you and tangentially connected to you back then you started doing workshops and teaching about healing through writing which has become a huge part of what you do now through your self-published memoir right totally i mean i was redirected because i published packing light with moody publishers back in 2012 and i got a great deal with moody they expected the book to do very well and it did um and i mean that was i think maybe a little unusual at the time i was a, a first-time author and um, didn't know what I was doing, but whatever I did, they liked, I got a great deal with them and the books did well in the marketplace. And then because Moody is a conservative Christian publisher with traditional views, I, I went through everything I went through in my personal life. I went through a divorce and my life kind of got pulled out from underneath of me and had to rethink a lot of things. And when I wrote Indestructible, which was the story of leaving this toxic relationship and rebuilding my life from scratch, I pitched it to all of the usual suspects inside of the Christian publishing world, including Moody. And I kind of knew Moody was going to be a no, but I thought maybe like one of the more liberal Christian publishers might take a shot on this book because it wasn't devoid of any sort of spiritual themes, but it, it was just like the real story of what had happened in my life. And all the publishers said no. And they all had various reasons why they said no. And there were a couple of no's that were more like maybes. But the more that I had conversations with these publishers, it just felt like if I was going to go the traditional publishing route with one of these publishers, I was going to have to compromise too much of the content in the book that was important to me. So it was just one of those moments in life where I wanted to traditionally publish that was important to me. Hitting the New York Times list, when you want to be an author, that's sort of like the, the banner that like everyone's kind of going for. Even if you know that it's just a, it's a label, it's a title, it's not going to change, you know, it's not going to make you feel a way about yourself that you don't already feel. But but so that's always kind of been on my mind. It's a, it's an accomplishment I'd love to have under my belt. And I knew that in order to do that, I needed to traditionally publish. So that had always been my path, I had assumed. In this moment in my life, that door was closed. And I had a, a choice. I was like, I could either abandon this idea of writing this book and write a different book. And I could, and the, the doors of traditional publishing would stay open to me because I had, you know, people inside of the world of publishing who were waiting to see what my next book would be. In fact, before I got divorced, I was working on a book about marriage. Not everybody knows that, but I was working on a book called Our First Years. And it was supposed to be a book about how hard the first years of marriage can be. 
and then my marriage ended. So it was like, well, that's not really going to work anymore. So, um, the ending, yeah, the ending of that book changes a little. So then I wrote indestructible. So, so all that to say, like the, the doors of traditional publishing would have stayed open to me if I'd been willing to write something that fit inside of that box. And, and I just, I couldn't bring myself to let go of the, of indestructible. I knew I wanted to get that out in the world. And so, so I had to take another path and that's what led me down the road of self-publishing. And you're right, Liz, that had it not been for me making that choice, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would be where I am. It really ignited in me this belief that had always been there, but it emphasized it that when you have this thing in your gut, in your soul, that you know you're supposed to say, that that you have to say it, you have to find a way to say it or it will kill you slowly from the inside out. And that it doesn't matter if that matters more than hitting the New York Times list or selling 100,000 copies of your book or whatever other, you know, um, label that you think is going to really do it for you. That that anybody who wants to, who, you know, who has this thing inside of them that they feel they need to say that the the medicine is really in getting it out. And so I started helping people outside of the typical traditional bubble who knew that they had a book in them and wanted to find a way to get it out. I started helping more and more of those kinds of writers too and leaning into the the healing aspect of writing. And that's where, you know, my my third book, The Power of Writing It Down, has sold the best of my three books on on paper and is a like a how-to. That's where that book was born. It's like a how-to manual for anyone who wants to write a book. Mm-hmm. So and that was a traditionally published book. Yes. And I love that too because it does show, especially because I know Indestructible did well and continues to impact the people who read it, but it just goes to show that even sometimes within the world of publishing, as much as editors and agents are experts, they're not always right. <laughs> you know, in, in our book, we talk about kind of this idea of balancing creativity and marketability, and sometimes it's not a clear picture of which way to go is right. Sometimes marketability says to do one thing and you just have that feeling in your gut. Like you said, that's telling you it's not going to work for this. So Ali, how do you kind of balance those two voices? Because you are someone who is incredibly in touch with what is marketable and what is needed, you know, by your audience right now. And also you're very good at listening to your heart. Oh, that's such a good question. How do I balance listening to my heart and listening to the market. I think just by my makeup alone, I, I listen way more to my heart than I do to the market. I feel like I listen to my heart 90% and to the market 10%, mm-hmm. maybe to my own detriment. I have moments where I'm like, I know what I could do to this to make it really sell. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to. I think everybody has a different objective. Like I have a friend who talks about it, like your soul's objective, as in like you're calling while you're on this planet. And I feel like my soul's objective is all about authenticity and speaking truth and sharing from the heart. And so as much as I say that I want the New York times list, I feel like there are, so I could jump through, I've helped other people at the New York times list. So I'm not confused about what it takes to make that happen. I think that I just, at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, I'm just one to listen to my heart more. But I don't think there's a right answer. And I think that's a really important thing for people to hear. You can learn the the tenets and the tactics to explode your Instagram, to like write a book that is just like 
right place, right time in the market, whatever. I, I, well, there's an author, I don't want to mention her by name, but there's an author I'm thinking of who did this. And they're not books that like I would run out to the bookstore to buy, but they've done very well for her and that works for her. And, and so I, there's a path there if that's what you want to do. But I feel like actually most of us who are, anyone who's sitting here listening to this conversation is doing that because you're like, I've got this sense that I've got something I've got to say, and I really want to get it out in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's not really about the the glitz and the glam and the fame and the lights and whatever for you at the end of the day. It's really about getting this thing out of you and into the world. And so that's, that's, right. that's what I think comes, it comes down to for me. And, yeah. and I end up just sort of like staying true to like with indestructible. That's a great example. That book it's it, in terms of numbers on the page, it's, I don't know what you consider like, you know, 95% of books don't ever, ever sell more than a thousand copies. I think that book has sold about 12,000 copies. It's the fewest number. It's the lowest sales numbers of any of my three books, but it's been the most rewarding book to write. Yeah. And it's the most rewarding book to get feedback on. Like when people email me and say, I read Indestructible, I read it in a single sitting. That book was so moving. It made me, you know, leave my abusive relationship. It made me move to a new location. It really made me rethink. Um, one guy emailed me and said it made me rethink the way that I treat my wife. And that kind of stuff is wow. like, that's what you do it for. I mean, it's like the, mm-hmm. a feeling of connection and camaraderie and meaning and purpose that. I don't think I would find if I was just writing the next hit book. Although um, the books that I think uh, like those of us who are like real bibliophiles and we love books, the books that are on the New York times list. And also you can tell that this really came from the author's heart. Maybe you should talk to someone or know my name by Chanel Miller, or it's a different list for everyone who's listening. You have your list of books that you're just like, Oh, I've got to keep this on my bedside table forever Mm -hmm. because it reminds me why I love books. And also it's been, 40 weeks on the New York Times list. That's the reason why we care about the New York Times list. Well, and I wonder too, like, even though you do write from mostly your heart and let that guide you in the feedback that you get, you can tell it is resonating. So it's like some interesting, you know, like when we, when Ariel and I talk about balancing your, your creativity or your passion with the marketability, it's not always feeling like you're making a decision one or the other, but start with your gut, start with what you love, start with, you know what I mean? And then see what resonates. There is something incredibly rewarding about sending something off into the void and having people echo back, you know, like me too. And so you don't have to take that and then necessarily morph it into exactly what some high powered, you know, New York editor wants you to make it. Although you certainly can, if that's what you want to do. Sometimes it's as simple as you know, not the, um, not the black and white decision between the two, but writing what you're passionate about and seeing what resonates with people. And if, if, and if it does perhaps doing more of that, you know, totally. Yeah. And I think that was such a beautiful way to say that. And one thing I want to add to this is advice that I'm giving to myself right now as well, but I think it's good advice for any writer who's listening. Don't be, don't be too idealistic. And, and I would even say arrogant to receive the feedback of publishing professionals, marketing professionals, people who do know what sells. Don't be so like, you know, in your sort of like idealistic artistic headspace that you're unwilling to receive that kind of advice. Because, you know, one example that comes to mind for me is my power of writing it down. When I pitched that book, I wanted it to be called Find Your Voice. And I actually told my acquisitions editor, I said, listen, I'm not changing the title of this book. So if you don't want it to be called Find Your Voice, then you, I'm not publishing with you. Obviously we all know how that story ended, but 
But the fact of the matter is the power of writing it down is a better title than find your voice. Find your voice, it's confusing. You don't know what the book is about. You're not sure what you're gonna get when you open the pages and the power of writing it down is much clearer and it's just a better title, easier to pick up off the shelf. It's one of many examples in my career where I have lis listened. I've let go of that ideal that I was holding on to, even though I really didn't want to. And I've listened to the people who also have a vested interest in my book doing well in the marketplace. And it's it's been to the you know to the betterment of the project. And right now I'm working on a book that I've noticed myself because this is content I've been teaching for years and it's such an obvious book for me to write. And I was noticing myself having a lot of resistance to writing the book because I realized that the reason I was resisting writing the book is because it just feels kind of too easy. Like one of the one of the allures to me of writing a book is sort of like wrestling with an idea until I can really pin it down. And so to write a book where like, I'm not really wrestling with anything, I'm just communicating something that I already have communicated a thousand times, but like the information needs to be out there in the world and it can reach more people if it's in a book and not stuck in my brain. But I was just noticing that I'm having this like sort of inner turmoil with going like, I want to work on the, whatever the next book is going to be because it's like way more cloudy and confusing to me. And I'm like, Ali, just, just let it be easy. It's fine. And I think that's, that's connected advice. It's like, it doesn't have to be so complicated and confusing. It doesn't have to be like so artistic that no one understands it. Like it can just be simple and straightforward information that's going to help someone. You can just let it be easy when it's easy because it's not always easy. So yeah. Yeah. Be grateful for the times when it is easy because you will have plenty of writing challenges in your future. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of a funny thing that happened in the last couple of weeks. One of my ghostwriting clients, she's like an absolute dream hardly has any feedback on anything I do. She's always just like, yes, everything looks great. You know, not that pickier clients can also be a dream, but you know what I mean? It's nice to like rarely have any edits. So all the time I'm like sending her chapters. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see her in there. She hardly writes anything. One day, not too long ago on a whim, I changed the subtitle of the book. And within minutes she had sent me a boxer and she's like, no, 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 no. You got, nope, you can't. I'm, it's gotta be this. And I was like, okay, sorry, I'll change it back. It's like she hasn't yeah. had an opinion this whole time. Yeah. But that subtitle, it's gotta be that. We turned it into the like editor a couple weeks ago. So we'll see what they think. But I was like thinking in my head after doing this for a while now, I'm like, it's not gonna be that subtitle. So better just let go a little bit, but I changed it back. And I was like, okay, we'll see what the editor says. But I was like thinking in my head, mm, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's, but it was just funny. I was like, man, she's attached to that subtitle. But <laughs> Editors have the hard job of being the bad guy sometimes, which I never minded. Honestly, I would always rather when I was working with writers or, you know, my associate editor, whoever, I was like, just throw me under the bus. That's fine. I'll, I'll make the hard call if I have to, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, authors need to be taken off their high horse sometimes too. I feel like we get, we can get a little bit too attached to, to certain things here and there. So I don't know, Ariel, I'm going to be thinking a lot about that question, like the balance between following your heart and publishing and because I, I have over the years, I think some out of naivete and some out of like legitimacy have been a little bit hard on, on the world of publishing in general. And one of my good friends, a colleague who has been very successful in the world of publishing, and I take his advice very seriously. He's like, you have to remember like all these publishing professionals are just trying to feed their families like you are, you know, they have an equal vested interest in selling your book just as much as you do. Like they're not trying to change your title because they hate you. They're trying to change your title because they think it's going to sell more books. Exactly. One thing I always tell authors too is 
not to forget that that writing a book is a very collaborative process. You think it's like a thing where you lock yourself in a closet and it's just you for a year at a time, but there are so many people whose hands touch that book before it ever goes to an audience. And don't ever think for a second that the person's name on the cover is the only person who, who worked on the book because it's like you know 20 invisible people that you wouldn't know about. Yeah, in, a, in an interview we did last week, I think I made the joke to the author who we were talking to is like, yeah, it's so hard to kill your darlings, as they say, let go of things. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, I, I just stuff them all in there and tell the editor, make it the editor's problem. <laughs> make it the editor's problem. <laughs> I was like, totally. I'm not really. I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but all the time I tell my clients, they're really struggling with, so this chapter go here, da, 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 I don't know, what, what should we call this, da, da, da. I'm like, ask your editor, that's what they're there yeah, for, yeah. you know, like, their, their quality control, they are often those sort of outside eyes, I mean, they're in the project, but you know, they don't usually see it for months at a time, which can give them a clarity that we don't have. So sometimes I'm like, take the pressure off yourself, it's not just you, and it's not just me as your collaborator. Ask your agent, ask your editor, make it, make it their problem, <laughs> no, but, but you know what I mean? Invite them into the process. Yeah, they have way more objectivity t than you do too. So along those lines, I've been reading this celebrity memoir and I'm, I've been reading a lot of memoirs lately because of the project that I'm working on and just wanting to gather some research. This particular one has so much of the, the makings of a great book, but I keep thinking to myself as I'm reading it, I'm like, where's his editor? You know, like there are just certain things that feel like I can see why he wrote it or why he said it in the way that he did. But then I'm like, there should be an editor that goes, that doesn't belong in the book. Like, we're going to cut this part. We're going to cut this chapter. Like, there's just so much there that's good that I'm like, if I could get my hands on the manuscript and edit this thing. Circling all the way back to the point of like, how much do we listen to our heart and how much do we listen to the market? I think there is a lot of value in, in listening to the people who, who aren't as attached to the material as you are. And who can say to you, like, you think this part is great for whatever reason you think it's great, but like, it doesn't make sense to your reader and it doesn't take them where you're trying to take them. And I, I guess I'm answering this on the fly, but I really think that I have some growth in that area of letting outside people influence the content. I think that we all could grow in that area. Yeah, definitely. I feel that for sure. I, I definitely struggle with that, even though as an editor, I get it. I'm like, I'm fully on board with other people editing yeah. my work. And yet when I receive edits, sometimes I'm like, well, yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm right here. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard when it's just like good content. Like that's the hard thing is that it's like, often it is good. It just doesn't belong, you know, there are so many ways that you can package an idea. There are so many words that you can use to deliver the same message. And so it takes a lot of sensitivity to know, is this worth changing because we think it might be more marketable or is this something where we can let it go? And I know as an acquisitions editor, I, I did struggle sometimes with like, I know what the more marketable option is, but I also see the author's vision and what they're trying to do. And I think in the world of publishing, even you know, a lot of the time editors, editors do try to keep that in mind and, and try to honor their author's voices. The great editors definitely do. And, and I think too, like there needs to be a relationship built between an editor and an author where there's lots of trust. I worked with Stephanie Smith on two books. She edited Packing Light and also edited The Power of Writing It Down. And we had such a great 
working relationship. And there, I had so much trust built with her that when we got to, especially when we got to the power of writing it down, there were moments, she's the one who changed the title from Find Your Voice. She convinced me um, many months into the project, but uh, there's just such a, a good solid foundation of trust built there that when she would recommend a change, I would be like, okay, we're going to go with it because I trust you. And, you know, I believe that you want what's best for the project in general. So Ali, one of my favorite things from the power of writing it down was the conversation around like taking care of yourself. And I mm -hmm. imagine that this is something that comes up a lot, especially with memoir. And I wanted to just ask you about that because that's also a conversation Liz and I have been having a lot lately, which is how do you keep writing, doing really good work when life is hard and yeah. when there are so many other, you know, whether it's just like stuff in the world or stuff in your personal life, but how do you take care of yourself physically and emotionally to keep showing up to your writing? Sometimes that just feels like half the battle right there. Oh, totally. I mean, writing is its own form of self-care. It's one, one way yeah. that you can take care of yourself. Writing from the, through the lens of self-care is different than writing through the lens of publishing. So, it, you know, like people say like, oh, they say like, not everyone should write a book. Writing a book can be so self-indulgent. And I'm like, so what if it's self-indulgent? It's different. It's a different mentality when I sit down to do morning pages versus when I sit down to write Yes. the next book that I'm working on. And both can be cathartic, but um, one is definitely more self-serving than the other one. And as it should be. And I, I also think, you know, I used to be of the mentality. And even when I, when I published The Power of Writing It Down, I talk a lot in the book about carving out a little space for yourself, like space in your physical environment, space on your calendar and being unequivocal about that and it, having great boundaries and not canceling that writing session, even though something pops up, treating it like you would treat a doctor's appointment and treating it like you would treat a hair appointment. And you don't cancel that unless there's an emergency. And then I had two kids in two years and, and I realized like, that's an ideal that you can't always live up to. You know, I mean, I haven't had until the last six weeks of my life, I have not had a consistent writing practice in the last two years. And that's because I've been in survival mode, just barely making it through the days and like living on very little sleep and, and like sustaining human life, you know, no, no big deal. So I've, it's changed my perspective a bit on, on that sort of unequivocal, you show up to the page every day, you do it no matter what, because there are times, there are things that are more important than your writing practice. Sleep is one, hydration is another, food is another, it, getting 20 minutes of silence. I would put that above your writing practice. So you know, like for me, the way that it, the way that I eased myself back into the writing practice was by doing those things first. I waited until my son was sleeping through the night and I was getting eight hours of sleep every night. Then I really started to think, you know, when, when my kids were born, like I just went off the rails with eating. Cause it was like, people were dropping off meals and whatever they drop off, I'm going to eat like four servings of it. And you're just trying to stay awake and whatever. I was like, I want to start fueling my body. It's not just your body. It's your brain. So it really matters like how much sugar you're eating. And if you're drinking, you know, I haven't really been drinking in the last couple of years, but like even a glass of wine at night before a writing session the next morning will completely derail me because it just messes with your sleep and the way your brain works. So I've learned that it's this layered process of taking care of your sleep first and then your nutrition and hydration, and then getting 20 minutes of silence to myself every day. 
And then the writing practice can be edifying and nourishing as long as it's not coming before those other more basic needs. And Julia Cameron talks a lot about filling the well so that you have something to draw from. You know, the other thing is like, if you're trying to write every day, but you're not taking in any creativity, like you're not like going for a walk in nature or reading a book or listening to a podcast, then you run out of things to say. Like, you're just like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm out of interesting conversations. So I think that there's, I've learned to have much more of a space for grace that a writing practice is not always feasible to to fit into a life that's quite chaotic and full of other things. And that's okay. But a writing process can be nourishing to you when it's layered on top of these other things. Well, and I would argue too, everything you said is just as applicable if the writing is your work. Sure. Ariel and I, and I know you too, Allie, like, you know, we're working on our own book, but the way that we make our money, the the way that I primarily make my living is ghostwriting. So my writing practice is often writing you know, it's my work. It's my nine to five. It's what I'm writing for other people, but still, it still feels like, and even though they're providing the content, you know, there's still a level of, you know, creativity involved and um, critical thinking to some degree and, you know, that sort of thing. And that when you're depleted or when you're just going through something rough, like, it's not to like be all lofty and esoteric about writing, but it, it just requires creativity is just hard when you're like sad, you know, or like tired, you know, it's not like showing up. It's not like cleaning a window or something, or making a cup of coffee or yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not something you can necessarily go through the motions of you. You have to really be present for it. And, um, like a lot of other jobs I imagine as well, but, um, but it, it does, I have found like, I I'm working on, um, on a memoir for someone and it's it's beautiful i it's amazing i love it but it's a trauma memoir and i have found like on days when i'm having a tough time like i can't get into that book because i have to be in the right mindset to write about some of the things that happened to this woman you know and but yeah i mean i would argue everything you said even if you even if your writing practice isn't necessarily like for yourself self or for your own therapy everything you said about taking care of yourself i mean it's probably relevant to like literally every person on the planet right but especially if you're doing something creative that requires um it just requires a lot of you i mean the other thing too that will come through so clearly in your writing you can't you can't fake this i don't think Mm -hmm. is if you're in a bad place it will come through in your writing yes oh i completely agree yeah So like, you can't be like in a dark pit emotionally and otherwise, and be like, I'm going to go write a a book that's going to sell a bunch of, I don't know. It's just like, you can't do that. No, I agree. I have ghostwriting clients tell me pretty regularly. They're like, they'll say something and they're like, but don't make me sound like stuck up, but, but, but don't make me sound stupid, you know? And I'm like, I want to say like, I, I wouldn't just come out with this because it just seems a little strong, but what I actually think in my brain is I, I love you. I would never make you, I would never make you sound stupid. You know, like I would never make you sound, I'm just elaborating on your point that like, I am always going to write 
about you and for you from a good place. I'm not going to like have a terrible day and then be like, Allie, it's not <laughs> her life. I get, it was terrible. You know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not, totally. not going to do that. Like I have a deep affection for you and for this book. I'm never going to like make you sound stupid. Well, and like your genuine point of view about this person is going to come through in the writing. Like I, that's what I think I'm getting at too, is that it's too hard to fake it. At least for most of the writers that I know, like part of why we're drawn to this profession is there's like, it, it's such a way to like show up in your authenticity and speak from your heart and tell the truth. You don't, you aren't drawn to the writing practice because you want to like fake it and hide, you know? Yeah. If you're feeling like shit, it's going to, that's going to come through in, in the writing, which is why morning pages can be so helpful. Julie Cameron talks about it, like dumping out the garbage at the beginning of the day so that you can actually do your real writing. And I think there's a lot of validity to that. It's like, you know, which, which the other thing she says too, is you can only hear yourself whine for about 40 minutes before you get really sick of it so you're just like I'm in such a bad mood my kid isn't sleeping through the night you know and then you're just like wow this is boring let's move <laughs> on to something else and so it kind of like clears yeah. out the it like clears out the sludge so that you can actually yeah you can come back with a clearer voice I guess Lin-Manuel Miranda says it's like turning on an old faucet and like all of the brown water comes out first and you just yes. pour that you just put all that brown gunk into your morning pages and then yeah. the nice clear water will be your real work yeah. real writing work <laughs> yes totally yeah oh my goodness time flies when you're having fun yeah this has been so fun to chat with you guys I've loved it so much so Ali where can people find you I assume that most of the people listening already follow you and love you but in case there are new friends who are experiencing you for the first time in this conversation where do you want them to go next to connect with you I mean I feel like Instagram is the best place I'm Ali Fallon on Instagram a-l-l-y-f-a-l-l-o-n and it's a nice hub because you can find my website and everything from there and you know I try to post a lot of content that's very helpful for authors on Instagram. So hopefully you can find something that really serves you there. And, and then, you know, you can check the link in my bio if you want to know about some of the other stuff that I do. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with me guys. This was fun. Anytime. Thanks for being part of the hungry authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor, head on over to Apple podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Mm -hmm.